You know, church, it's it's interesting. I was, I've I've been reflecting on the reality of just this coronavirus, COVID nineteen, all the fear uh, that we're witnessing in our world and in our country, all the unrest. And as I was reflecting on that this week, I was reminded of the first time that we flew into Haiti to meet our children. Haiti, uh, even today, is a country with great social, civil, political unrest. In fact, really two of the three times that we visited the country, uh, the, we were confronted with these realities of civil unrest. And, and this kind of unrest, even the kind we're facing today in America, it can be devastating to a culture. There, sometimes in Haiti there were riots, sometimes there were marches and demonstrations, there was destruction of property, sometimes the robbery of grocery shops or clothing stores, there were burning of tires, blockades and main roads and venues, even getting to the airport was treacherous. You, there were days that we were not allowed to be out. Uh, sometimes, quite frankly, it just wasn't safe, and so we were told we had to stay in our guest house. And of the many days that we were down there, only one evening were we allowed to travel out of the guest house. As we went back and forth to the crash into the guest house, we traveled in a vehicle that had tinted windows, and the place that we were staying was actually guarded by a security guard, an armed security guard. He carried a shotgun around with him uh, in the house, really, and patrolled the grounds 24 hours a day, uh, him and another person. And it's interesting, oftentimes when we're faced with this kind of unrest, this social unrest, whether it's due to civil realities or political realities or even medical realities, the emotion of fear follows closely behind or walks closely beside these feelings of unrest. And fear, as I've said before, it's a fabulously good, bad motivator. And often we're consumed by it. And how can we not be? Uh, it's one of the primary emotions that the national news media uses to capture readers and listeners' minds and attention. Leaning into worst-case scenarios, what-ifs, uh, it seems like the national news media has become the chicken little of our days, running around telling everybody headlines of the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And sometimes, quite honestly, we do buy into it. And... The fear that we experience, it can be contagious. It can provoke doubt and the ability to accomplish a given mission. And sometimes fear shipwrecks a team, a group, or people even before they've set sail on the mission and the vision that they've been given. You know, Jesus, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew perfectly how fear affected his people. And in this chapter of John, John 14, the beginning of Jesus' farewell discourse, we find uh, it's shrouded in difficult realities. Jesus was leaving. The disciples could not follow. Should the mission be abandoned? Was all hope lost? What would they do? How would they continue without Jesus? Why was Jesus leaving? Where was he going? And what Jesus is doing throughout the farewell discourse is nothing less than really giving a dissertation on all of the reasons why the disciples should and could continue to carry on the mission that Christ had given them. 
And he has pronounced and announced his farewell. He has told them he is preparing a place for them. He's affirming to them that he would return. He's telling them they still have work to do. That he would send them a helper. And that he was going to the Father. He was teaching them to find hope in his word. And to be guided by the helper that he was sending. And as we conclude this chapter today, Jesus is going to show us that the Holy Spirit will aid His disciples so that they can stand fearlessly in Christ's abundant peace, resting in everlasting joy, and trusting in His indestructible love. And we want to answer the question today, how does Jesus help His disciples stand fearlessly in days of unrest, hostility, and uncertainty. Today we're in John chapter 14. We're concluding John 14. It's verses 25 to 31. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John 14, verses 25 to 31. And let's pray. Lord, we gather around your word today in a time of great unrest, in a time that is unusual, in a time that is unprecedented. And in a time, quite honestly, Lord, where there's many questions, many emotions, fear, doubt, anxiety, and we come to your word knowing that there's powerful truth here for us. Powerful truth for us even in these days. There's reason that we can have peace. There's reason that we can have joy. There's reason that we can be hopeful. And Lord, your word It gives us instruction. It guides us in wisdom. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us. Your presence is with us. You're guiding us and directing us through the words in these pages. And so, Lord, as we gather together, we would pray that you would open our ears to understand and our minds to understand and you would open our hearts so that we might know how you would want us to change and how you would want us to live and behave in these difficult days. Help us to give you glory, Lord, and guide our time together today in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as our children are adjusting in the home to this new reality, we still have a few children who are a bit too afraid to fall asleep on their own without either having Sheila or myself in the room with them. Our physical presence is a source of comfort. And when the people that we look up to the most in our lives are present and near us, it creates an atmosphere of confidence and security. Jesus is present with His disciples right now. He's speaking to them. And let's read the words that He has to say. John 14, verses 25 to 31. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, 
for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Church, we do not need to fear today because the people we love and trust the most are with us and near us. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus have the presence of God in our lives with us all the time. And again, what is happening here is that Jesus is assuring His disciples that when He leaves, another will come to help them. And in verse 26, He identifies the helper by His proper name. He calls Him the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's interesting when Sheila and I leave the kids' rooms at night and we shut the door behind us, they are asleep. And we've answered all of the questions that they've had to help prepare them for the night. One of the things that we often have to say to them is if they wake up during the night and they're afraid, they can always pray. And Jesus will help them. Jesus is teaching His disciples here that the times are about to get dark. But the Father is sending the Spirit in Jesus' name. And the Holy Spirit is going to help to teach them all things and bring to remembrance the things that Jesus has said to them. I love John's intentional usage here. If you look down in the text, he uses the word He in the text, referring to the Holy Spirit. And it's easy sometimes to skip right over it, but it's used here purposefully. And it's used to really instruct us on the nature and personhood of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. And, and what John is doing here is he's intentionally violating the traditional usage of the word spirit. In the Greek language, when someone used the word spirit, it was a gender-neuter word, which means that people would say the spirit or a spirit. Very rarely would they uh, ascribe a gender pronoun, if at all, to it, like he, the spirit. Yet there are many instances in the New Testament, especially in John's writings, where he ascribes the gender of he to the Holy Spirit. Here in John 14.26 we see it, but if you flip to John 15.26 you'll see it there, and you'll also see it in John 16 verses 7 and 8, and John 16 verses 13 and 14. Really, one of the primary emphasis of Jesus in the farewell discourse is to teach the disciples about the helper who is coming. So in John 14 through 16, we see a lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit. And another dimension of meaning comes when we understand that John is writing as guided and carried along by the Holy Spirit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he writes his gospel. And what we are to understand by what Jesus is teaching here is what we should be comforted by even in difficult days. God is with us. And He is with us as God, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, 
there has been many, there have been many, just like in Jesus' days there were many who questioned the deity of Jesus, there are many who have indeed questioned the deity of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible gives ample evidence that indeed the Holy Spirit is God. Now, when we use that word deity, what we mean is that people did not believe that Jesus was God. There are people who do not believe or attribute the Holy Spirit as God. But the Bible, however, being our final authority on this matter, is perhaps no clearer and gives no clearer example than in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. If you remember, and um, you may want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, Ananias lies to the Holy Spirit, and the Apostle Peter equates his lie as he was lying to God himself. And there's other places in the Bible as well, but along with that, all of the major historical creeds of the Christian church affirm the deity of the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed, the Athanasius Creed, the Westminster Catechism. This so, church, we can definitively say that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. He is the same in substance and essence. He's equal in power, eternity, and glory as the Father and the Son. And He proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. And as we read through the Bible, we see this beautiful inter-Trinitarian relationship working together, especially in the New Testament. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. The Father gives the Son, John chapter 3, verse 16. And the Spirit leads the Son as He ministers here on earth. There's this voluntary subordination within the Godhead that does not deny the essential equality of all three persons of the Trinity. And not only would the Spirit teach the disciples of Jesus how to act when needed, but He would also provide them with what they needed to know exactly when they needed to know it. We see evidence of this in the New Testament, following the Gospels. As the Holy Spirit comes upon men in the upper room, and they are indwelt and empowered to carry out the mission that Jesus had given them. And you know, it's amazing. They do this with remarkable precision. And not only were these apostles and disciples working as architects and builders of the early church, but they were also the ones who were entrusted by Jesus to write the Holy Scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in this, we see the second part of that verse, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance all that I, Jesus, have said to you. It was through the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Gospels and the Scriptures came to be written. As the disciples wrote, sat down to write and think about what was needed to be shared, the Spirit was guiding them, recalling and bringing to remembrance what they had experienced during Jesus' life and ministry on earth. But church, this is for us as well. And I want you in your homes even just to be thinking about how many times in your life you remember the Spirit leading and directing your understanding in certain situations. 
Many of you have been in a position where you didn't have words to say, but somehow, some way, the Spirit produced comfort, either through softly, gently, humbly spoken words, or just by your presence. You know, I think sometimes we see this when we're in situations uh, that involve death or terminal illness. Sometimes coming alongside of someone in that season of affliction can be very difficult and very intimidating. And some of us are fearful of being with folks in those situations because we're scared not knowing what to say or how to respond. But how many of you in your own home can affirm that when in those situations in life, as the Lord has led you into them, and you've walked in not having the words to say, not knowing how to provide or produce comfort, how many of you can affirm that the Spirit was able to use you and, and guide you and direct you with the right words to say in those moments? Sometimes it's no words at all. Just your presence being there with that person, caring enough to go, to sit, to listen. Sometimes it's a verse. Sometimes it's a helpful lesson that Jesus has taught us from a similar experience in our lives. Sometimes it's just a hug or an arm around a shoulder. But the Spirit is still leading, church. He's still guiding us today. His presence produces a reality that Jesus continues to unpack in the next verse. Take a look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In those days, people would walk around just throwing out the Shalom, shalom, shalom. A lot like we would use the greeting today, Hey, how you doing? How's it going? It became meaningless. There was little meaning behind it, and the people who were speaking it and saying the greeting were rarely able to produce the peace that they were inviting into the life of the person they were speaking to. But the shalom of Jesus, the peace of Jesus is different. It's powerful. And there's meaning and there's rest. That word rest. Rest and peace go together. Jesus' shalom is true peace. It's a peace that's both continual and abundant. He's not giving some trite greeting here. Jesus is literally expressing a reality that He Himself is accomplishing for His disciples. Knowing Jesus is knowing peace. And Jesus does not give this peace as the world gives it. He gives it differently. He's not contained in in how He gives His peace. He gives His peace in abundance. Why can believers live with such confidence and hope in these uncertain times? As we sit in our homes, as we gather together, we know this is not normal. This is very different. There is a lot going on surrounding us and in the world around us today. And how is it that we can live with peace and we can live with hope? The answer is that Jesus has secured our peace. His death, His resurrection, His ascension, the sending of the Spirit to be with us, all sources of peace and comfort. And Jesus does not give from the resources of this world. 
His resources are limitless. And He's able to provide us with limitless peace so that our hearts are not troubled or afraid. Days of uncertainty. So, maybe the question as you sit at home today and reflect, why do we still fear then? Why are we troubled? Does that indicate that we don't have the Spirit present in our lives? And I would say, well, it, it could. Uh, if fear and trouble are the overwhelming testimony of your life and ever-present realities in day-to-day living, the reality is you may need to be born again. But, probably for most of us who are watching today and gathered in our homes, the reality is that we struggle with bouts of fear and feeling troubled because on this earth, we're still living in our flesh. And sometimes we're influenced by the systems and processes of the world that we live in. This is why Paul tells his church in Galatians, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I would encourage you, church, at home, families, friends, next time you're wrestling with these feelings of fear, trouble, insecurity, pray. Ask Jesus to help you. He is a good Lord. He does not desire for you to live in fear and insecurity, but rather to live in a spirit of power and love and self-control. It's this spirit that causes us to not only experience continual, abundant peace, but also everlasting joy. Take a look at verses 28 and 29. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Transitions are difficult times in our lives. And sometimes these transitions are big. A new job, a a new home, a new family member, a new crisis. Sometimes they're small, moving from one activity to another in our day-to-day, transitioning from uh, breakfast to uh, getting a shower, or whatever that might be. We found in our own home, in this season of our lives, that transitions are incredibly difficult, especially for our newest family members. The disciples, they had spent a good deal of three years with Jesus. And truly, it would have been considered the time of their lives. It was coming to an end and there was sadness. Why? Why was this happening? You know, it's interesting, sometimes in the evening, one of us supervises the kids while the other goes in and gets dinner ready. Usually we're playing outside if it's a nice evening and one of us will go in and get dinner ready and the other will stay out and supervise the kids. And eventually, whoever stayed out to play and to supervise the kids will also go in to help with the final preparations for the meal. And this transition can be difficult. Now, the parents aren't around. So the children must play together without direct supervision from the parents. And usually there's sadness, criminal activity, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. They enjoy when we are present in their play. 
But oh the joy when a hot meal is on the table and ready for them to enjoy. And this is how we build trust and security with our children in our homes. When mom and dad say they're getting dinner ready, we need to play by ourselves, and then they soon call us into a wonderful meal that's been prepared. Over time, we learn to trust mom and dad. There is joy in obeying and trusting Jesus. If Jesus said that He was sending a helper, the Holy Spirit, if the disciples truly trusted Him, they would have rejoiced. Someone was going to be with them just as Jesus was with them. They could not see, nor did they know all that the Father had in store for them. And just like our children when they're playing outside do not see the meal that's being placed on the table as they're playing, We're simply asking them to trust and obey that something great is prepared for them when we call them in. Jesus was speaking these things to His disciples so that when these events actually happen, just as He said they would, that they would have great joy, great peace, and great hope in God's faithfulness. This is... Friends, this is the beauty and power of Acts chapter 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. As you open the book of Acts, things seem in utter disarray. And you get to Acts 2 and all hope seems lost. I mean, think about the context and the setting and what you have happening. You have a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, social outcasts, sitting in a room wondering, what are we going to do? Jesus is no longer with them. He said He was going to send a helper. Where is this helper? What's going to happen? How are we going to go into all the world? How are we going to help build this church that He's called us to build? Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow! There it is, church. The helper that was promised is here now. What Jesus had said in John's gospel comes to pass. Peace, joy, comfort, hope. The work that they were given to do, they would not do alone, but under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And again, we're confronted with that ever-present phrase in John's gospel. It's, It's frequent throughout his gospel, and we've looked at it over and over again, but it's here twice in verse 29, at the end of verse 29, that you may believe. Remember the purpose and the occasion for John's writing as we've looked at before. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Believe and have life. And I believe that that the disciples, 
though they would die horrible deaths as martyrs of the faith, that they found life and that they truly found it to its fullest. This because they trusted and obeyed the words of Jesus. And trusting and living in Jesus' words will always give us peace and comfort. There's nothing that can stand against the power of God. We'll celebrate this next Sunday as we gather online for our Easter services. Remember this, church. Jesus' resurrection proves that He has already defeated the coronavirus. COVID-19 has no claim on our Lord. The place He's prepared for us is untouched by disease and death and no believer who leaves this world due to this virus or any other can take it with them when they go. Death frees us from the disease and brokenness of this world system. This world is not ours. This place is a foreign land. It belongs to the enemy. It's his system under the providential sovereignty and power of God. But our real home church, our real home is bigger, it's better, it's far more glorious than what we experience here. You can think of the greatest joy that you have experienced on this earth and you could magnify it in your mind a thousand times and you still would not touch the hem of heaven's garment. I think we would say, get ready Satan. Your time on this earth, your futile kingdom in this world will soon pass away. Jesus is victorious. Listen to how Jesus concludes John chapter 14. He leaves us insight that proves His indestructible love. Look at verses 30 and 31. Jesus says, I, I will not longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Words of foreshadowing. Judas Iscariot, he was coming back under the influence of Satan to betray Jesus into the hands of the Roman guards. And church, it's important that we do not grow weary of the reality that this world is not a safe place. The ruler of this world does not have the best interests of the sons and daughters of God in his mind. In fact, Peter alerts us to this reality in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Speaking to the church. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Paul knew as well, and he warned the church of the identity of the ruler of this world system, even calling Satan the god of this world. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But as much authority as Satan wields here on earth, he holds nothing over Jesus. Jesus reminds the disciples that Satan has no claim on him. It was in the desert where Satan attempted to place a claim on Jesus' life and ministry. And there he failed and was completely unable. And now, once again, here towards the end of Jesus' life, 
as he uses Judas Iscariot, he's deceived himself, believing that the death of Jesus was proof to some claim. He didn't realize that Jesus' death and soon coming resurrection would shatter the gates of hell and stoke the flames on the lake of fire, Satan's eternal destination of judgment. Jesus remarks in verse 31, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know I love the Father. The Father commanded the death of His Son, and Jesus willingly laid down His life so that we might have eternal life. Jesus' obedience unto death proved His love for the world and His love for the Father. And Satan's time as ruler is coming to an end. His turn to control and rule over a world system, to lay claims on the hearts and lives of men and women who live in it, all will soon be over. And for those of us who are truly in Christ, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we have no reason to fear Satan's desire to have claim over us. The Holy Spirit who Jesus sent preserves and protects us. Jesus has stamped His claim upon us. We are God's children, part of God's family for eternity. And again, there's so much beautiful harmony in this book of John. And and as we mesh John 14 with what we saw in John 13 and what we're going to see ahead, there's so much happening here that's just so wonderful. In John 13, we have Jesus demonstrating the kind of love that He's calling us to as He stoops down and washes His disciples' feet. Then, last week in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love Me, if you love Me, you will obey My commandments. Something that Jesus Himself was willing to do to show His love of the Father. In today's text, Jesus is proving His love for the Father by showing and demonstrating the same obedience He's calling His disciples to. Jesus will lay down His own life so we might live. It's amazing. Submitting to death on the cross. Obeying the command of His Father to die for the world here we have this final line rise let us go from here and it moves us from the upper room on a path towards Gethsemane and church will pause along the way to be reminded of our great need for Jesus and in a few weeks after our Easter services we'll open John 15 and we'll see Jesus' illustration of the vine and the branches and then in John 16 we'll learn even more about the Spirit's role and by the end of John chapter 17 the end of the farewell discourse we're in the garden of Gethsemane. I'm sure that on this evening, as Jesus was speaking to His disciples in the upper room, that they could have just sat there that evening and soaked it up. How good it was to be in the presence of Jesus. And how sad it was to think that His physical presence was leaving. And holding back the anticipation and the weight of the difficulties that were ahead, now for the disciples, every morsel of time with Jesus becomes more and more precious 
as the end of his earthly ministry is coming. So the question we might ask ourselves this morning is, how might our lives look in light of these realities? And friends, as we sit at home, we sit at home in circumstances that uh, really we probably didn't expect at the beginning of 2020. But I would ask us this morning, church, that we would stand firm in Jesus' indestructible love, even in the midst of coronavirus. That we would hold fast to the eternal joy that Jesus has secured for us through His work on the cross. And that we would take hold of the continual and abundant hope that is produced by the fruit of the Spirit who is at work in your daily life. And church, that you would know the peace and the love of Jesus as you go about your time together this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, thank you for these truths, for these examples that you have given us. What you've called us to, Lord, is, is nothing more than what you yourself have done for us, and you did so much more. Laying down your life for us, being obedient to the Lord, even unto death. And we recognize this morning, Lord, that there are realities in our life that may rob us of peace, that may rob us of joy, that may cause us to even doubt your indestructible love. But I pray that your word today, Lord, would be a reminder to us of your great power, of your great work, of who you are, being faithful to every word that you spoke. You've sent your spirit. Your spirit dwells with us, guiding and directing us, producing fruit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that about our day this week that that fruit would be manifested in the way that we love and the way that we demonstrate patience the way that we show peace the way that we demonstrate self-control the way that we're gentle with one another and kind Lord I pray that you would receive the glory for what you bring about in our lives and what you bring about in these days that we live even today in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, church. We'll see you next week as we celebrate Easter together.